Dwayne Von Drake Wiggins Jr. Good morning, Robert <laughs> Wesley Branch. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> it's been forever. It's been forever. <laughs> and you know I love to say your whole full government name, Dwayne Von Drake <laughs> Wiggins <it>. Jr. <laughs> I am here for it. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. I'm glad you're here today. It's just you and me, no co-hosts, no commercials, just me and you, brother to brother. So I am sitting here next to the window in Orlando, just sitting at the executive suite table, having my interview with my brother and my friend, Robert Wesley Grant. Lovely. You got some coffee or some tea and a croissant right. or something? I have some hot tea <laughs> sitting right here next to me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. See, I can visualize it. And it takes me back to the picture that you sent me and you were in the back of a limousine and you were by the window uh-huh. and you were kind of looking out and the car was in motion and you had on, I believe it was a deep blue or purple. It looked to be suede or some kind of satin, beautiful, like smoking uh-huh. jacket or tuxedo jacket. And that's yeah, it, was, it was a blue jacket. Yeah, that's <laughs> the shot that when I think about you, that's the shot that comes to my mind. I love it. Love those positive vibes with a man who don't mind taking a chance. It's Robert Wesley Branch. Be well, be encouraged, be inspired every day. Hey, hey, yay. Be well, be encouraged, be inspired every day. Hey, hey. It's the Robert Wesley Branch Show. It is the day after graduation and the day before Thanksgiving. Right. <laughs> and I have so much that I am thankful for. So I could not have graduated at a more perfect time during like the season of giving thanks and being thankful. I'm just really grateful and excited about what took place on yesterday. Mama, I'm in no, ma'am. I don't. Hi, Mom. Why? Because he works so hard. Go get my hug. I already gave him. I So yesterday, with the graduation, you now have a... Bachelor's degree. Okay. So you now have a bachelor's degree in entertainment and business. Entertainment and business. And what made you choose that major? Well, I've been in the entertainment industry for a long time. I'll say since I was 23. At the age of 23, I wrote my very first production where there were audience that purchased tickets to come see my show. Mm-hmm. So I've been writing since I was 14. I've always journaled and I've shared this story a lot about journaling that because of my childhood and things that I've experienced that I would journal and change the characters in my journal just in case if someone found it and it had happened to me before because I would just write about my feelings and things that I was like going through. I just didn't know who else I could talk to about them. So they turned into stories. And then from that time, my sisters and I, and at my church, like we would put on these plays and people would come and they would, 
come and be a part. And they loved them. And they were like, oh, being touched. And they had meaning and messages. And at that time, I didn't know they were anything with meaning and message. I don't even know what if I knew what a message was or meaning or any of that. None of that. <laughs> right. It was just what I did for fun. So when I was 23, I put on my first play, Mountain High Valley Low. The very first show, there were 801 tickets sold. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I remember it wasn't about me wanting to act or be in front of the people. Like I've always had this thing of being behind the camera or being behind the stage or behind the scene. So even as a child, like my grandmother, my sisters and I, my brother, we would go visit my grandmother and she had a huge video camera that we would play with and she would allow us to use it. Mm -hmm. And me and my sisters and my brother would play news. So I would like write out a little script for them. And two of my sisters would be the anchors and my brother would do the traffic because my grandmother lived on the main highway and my other sister would do the weather and I would direct them. And this was like at the age of 11 and 12 that we were like growing up playing with each other this way. So I never realized until my adult life that this is something that I've always been passionate about as a child. So coming back to why I chose this degree is because I've been doing it for a long time, but I wanted to be educated on how to perfect what I was doing because there was a lot of mistakes that came with doing working in the entertainment industry of trying to have a production company and trying to figure out finances and trying to right. write contracts and trying to find the right thing to do. So in those mistakes of me for the 10 years that I've ran D Wiggins Productions, mm-hmm. in that there were so many mistakes of thinking I was going to be able to pay people and was not, and then people would really talk bad about me because I made promises that I really couldn't keep. And it was only because I felt that I had a desire to do it, but book smart-wise, I just didn't know how to do it. So right. to be able to know finances and to be able to do that, like it put me in a place where there were times where people started to bad mouth that don't go with Dwayne because you're not going to get paid Mm -hmm. or don't do this because this is not going to happen when the truth of the matter is my heart was very sincere but people weren't trying to hear that my heart was always in a good place of trying to make this happen at least for the first seven years after like the seventh year or so we were able to pay people and people were able to walk away and then we were able to put money in the bank and all that great stuff Mm -hmm. but I still did not have an understanding of how the entertainment industry works. So I felt that one day I was sitting at my computer and I said, you know, I wonder if there's a degree on entertainment business. And I just Googled and I found Full Sail University. Mm-hmm. And so I started to do research on it. And I was like, hmm, I really need to do this. And so that's why I chose the degree because I felt that it was important for me to, once I saw the course layout, I said, this is important for me to know this stuff if I want to be an entrepreneur or if I want to work in the entertainment industry, that I need to learn how to do things legally and find a method of how to successfully run a production company or how to work successfully for other people if I want to work in the entertainment industry. Right. Take us along that journey with you as you begin to learn about the entertainment industry. What was your first big surprise about how this whole thing works? My first big surprise was how much money it cost. When I think about doing my first play, my thought was that, oh, I put on the show, I wrote the script, I need actors, I can use a few props, and I'm going to put on the show. Mm-hmm. And it just was not that simple. Then all the logistics that started to come with it as far as like lighting and making sure that you have agreements between you and people and um, liability forms and, and all of that stuff. I did have someone to help me, but even when I'm having people fill this out and I'm trying to look so professional, I was faking it. I really didn't know the 
real meaning of why I was doing what I was doing. So from programs and making sure that everybody that's a part feels important. And then when it came down to saying, like, I needed someone to help me do this or to help me do that, and then they would ask for a certain amount, I was like, oh, they're just not going to help me for free. Right. So, or I just never <laughs> took it to play how much it would cost to actually produce a project. And, like, that was, like, my first real big shock when putting it together because like I said for so throughout my teens and really early early 20s it was just something I did at my church and people would just bring stuff we would just have our props or whatever but when I took the productions on a live stage that's when I started to realize like this costs money mm-hmm. to produce mm-hmm. so that was my first big shock with producing a project yeah and as you begin to sit in the classes and go through the coursework for this degree in entertainment and business what you were learning in the books, the theories, the history, what surprises or first surprise or first like aha moment did you have as you were digging into the coursework? One of the things that really came to me the most was having a legitimate business plan and how to, I'll say this too, because throughout the class, I took a lot of classes that dealt with a lot of things behind the scenes because what they taught me, I took like business law and I took like audience matrix classes and I took like statistics and it was all based on entertainment based things. So I learned so much about other production companies like mm-hmm. Tyler Perry Studios and Warner Brothers and Paramount. A lot of my research was spent working on and analyzing their companies throughout the two and a half years that I was studying. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I realized in this, it was uh, creating a substantial business plan of how to be able to take a project from start to finish and being able to calculate every single move that everything is strategic as far as like, when do people arrive and how much is it going to cost for them to do that? Or what color you're going to use and making sure that the color scheme stays the exact same throughout the entire production and mm-hmm. you know, who's going to run the backstage and who's going to run the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there were so many things that I knew, but I just didn't know have a know-how mm-hmm. until I was able to go to school and learn how to do these things. Because honestly, a lot of things that I've learned were just trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, going throughout the years of producing, it was just that I would read stuff online, I would just make mistakes and say, I'll never do that again. But being able to study for this degree and learn the things that I needed to learn, one of the things that I will do different as I move forward, even to work for others, is just being able to analyze the situation and productions and working on graphs and stuff like that. I never thought that any of that stuff was important or looking at what happened before and looking how we can move forward with certain things. So, an audience matrix, like that was a huge class for me to realize how important your audience is, be it on social media, be it people that come to the shows, who's going to watch a movie, who is watching you on television. There was a lot that I learned about how to better connect with the audience and Mm -hmm. how important they are to the body of work that you're creating. Let's talk about that. Did they get down into the demographic Mm -hmm. makeup of the audience, the psychographic makeup of the audience? Yeah, the audience's behavior. One of the things that I never really focused on, there were things that I knew, but I just didn't know (laughs) the terminology that was Right, exactly. And one one of the things that was really fascinating to me is learning the importance of a target market. Mm -hmm. What is your target market? And and looking at the demographics and looking at the female to male ratio and 
looking at who's Baptist, who's Catholic, who's Christian, and how often they go to the movies, or how often do they come and see shows, and how often do they have events. Being able to study the demographics and to really dig deep into those things, to really find out, like, this stuff is really, really important to your market in the process of studying and learning those things, it painted like a broader picture on what type of people I would need to go after or how to pay attention to who comes to my audience. And so I never really paid attention to, although I could see that the majority of my audience was African-American and a lot of them were from church. It was never anything that I paid attention to. And I feel that not that the shows were not successful because we were really blessed in the time that we were putting on shows, but I really started to think of how much more successful the shows would have been if I really paid attention to the audience and catered to their needs and not just what I really felt like I wanted to write or what I wanted to produce. So now it definitely gives me a different perspective of how to approach if I decide to do another play, how to approach that and how to look at the audience and look at the female to male ratio, look at how many people came on this night, how many people who purchased tickets online and who purchased them at the door and even down to how the theater felt, like who had on jackets and who didn't have on jackets so that I can accommodate those people because I realized that if you accommodate the audience, the more they'll start to support you and come to the things that you're doing. You can put your name on anything, Mm -hmm. but if you are catering to your audience, they're going to bring other people because they're going to feel like they're VIPs. They're going to feel like they're important just by knowing the demographics and knowing who your audience is. I found that very important. And that is something that I would definitely take into play from this day forward, regardless if I'm doing a event or a play or even trying to transition to movie and television. Those are all things that I will always take into account from this day forward. Let's talk about that because recently, as we know, Tyler Perry opened up his studio in Atlanta and someone that I know who was invited told me about it. And she said that Mm -hmm. the thing that she really felt, she's walking through this fabulous experience. I mean, everything is extra fabulous from the invitation is everything is grand and elaborate. And yet she didn't feel a bit of pretentiousness with it. Like he was trying to be something that he wasn't. It wasn't pretentious at all. It was so spiritually and Mm -hmm. soulfully satisfying that even in its grandness, it didn't feel pretentious. And I said to her when she told me this, I said, that is a reflection of that man's character. Because you have to do all Mm -hmm. the things that you're talking about to make somebody feel that when they come to something that you're putting together. You feel me, brother? Absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. It's everything you talked about. You got to think about the experience and every aspect of it and walk through it like your audience will. That shows your character when you go to that length. And so that people walk through that same experience after you do it conceptually and don't feel any bit of pretentious like, okay, this boy trying to show off. They didn't feel any of that. They just Mm -hmm. felt like, wow, this is really satisfying my soul. And I think that's so important. I'm such an admirer of Tyler Perry and what he's done. And I think that It's so great to be able to see people and experience. And I think that anybody on any scale, that's what you should take with you everywhere you go. And I can speak to this very well because this is the type of person that I've been and am. I don't care if I invite someone to my house, Mm -hmm. to my church, to go to the movies, to go out to dinner, whatever the case may be. I always feel in my heart that I want them to have an experience. 
not about we just did this to just be doing something. I want them to remember that when they came, this is what took place. Even to times where I've even prayed about what color paper to use for the program mm. that I've done for my plays. Every single detail is so important to me because I know that it's important for people to feel like they are a part of an experience. Mm. So I, when I, I'm an avid fan of Broadway. And so every time that I go to a Broadway show, I look at the audience and I look at the people that are on stage. For me, the experience starts when I say hi to the first usher when I walk through the door. That usher can make or break what my spirit is going to feel throughout the whole experience. And I think that's true for a lot of people, that mm -hmm. I don't care how great the show was or how great something was. If somebody treated you bad when you walked into something that they're producing, that's the first thing that you're going to remember. And that's the thing that's going to stand out to you. You will remember that everything was nice, but that usher that was at the front door was horrible. You know, <laughs> so even with the people that I work with, right. it's, it's so true. And it's like, and even with the people that I work with, like I do like trainings, like, okay, so when people walk in and this is what you say to them and this is how you talk to them and everybody has to dress the same and everybody has to smile and you take them to their seat, you don't point to them. They're going to remember the experience. And even if the show is not the best, if people are treated right when they come in and they feel like a great atmosphere, <laughs> even if the show wasn't the best, right. they still would not harp on the show wasn't that great. They're going to just remember <laughs> everybody that treated them with kindness. Right. That's so, true. That's so, true. Because I'm one of those people. I don't care if it's an event coordinator. I don't care if you're preparing dinner for the holidays, whatever the case may be. We have to create experiences for people because that's what's going to continue to draw them back to anything that you do. And I think even with my friendships, I want my friends to experience great things with me. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to your studies because you said that okay. as you were going through the coursework, there were things I knew, I just didn't know the names of them. And you began to discover the names of these things and theories and practices as you went through the coursework. And let's go back to you being 11 and 12 years old, writing the news scripts and acting out the newscast with your sisters and your younger brother. <laughs> and I'm listening to you talk about that. And I'm thinking that our spiritual gifts are creative and it's the creativity mm -hmm. that shows itself when we're young. The straight up raw creativity mm -hmm. of what you were able to accomplish. It's not until we get older and have education that we actually are taught the business part of show business. The spiritual gifts that are creative, that's the show part of show business. And that comes very mm -hmm. natural to us. We can do that. We can write. We can mm -hmm. conceive. We can produce. We can direct. The actual business is what we have to be taught at some point, either through formal education or through experience being thrust into or placed into or choosing to enter that environment as a occupation and just learning what they call on the job training. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're going to get right, it. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get it either way. Uh -huh. So what are your thoughts on that about our creative gifts emerging first in our childhood and teenage years? And I so agree with that because a lot of times as children, we don't necessarily know about these creative gifts, but I remember talking to a group of individuals about this, that we were talking about like careers and things that we wanted to do. And I had a talk with them and I was like, just close your eyes and just think about a lot of the stuff that you did as kids. Like, did you see yourself walking in your mom's high heels? Or <laughs> did you see yourself, you know, always caring for somebody? That would be a yes so a for me. Actors, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so as we started to do that and 
I said, now, if you think about some of the people that are in your life and some of the things that you've seen kids do and had the opportunity to see them grow up, a lot of them are doing what they did when they were kids. Like, if you, right. I remember a lady that I was talking to who said that she was always caring for people, and now she's a nurse. I look at people that are always argumentative, and they're lawyers, or there's always something, I feel, that in our childhood or that's inside of us that we don't always know. Mm-hmm what it may be, but if we take a moment to look back over our lives and things that we were attracted to when we were little or things that we wanted to participate in or do, those are what we're walking into now. And even if we don't recognize what our calling is on our lives, that we are, a lot of times, we still are walking in those things that we are going to do in the future. That's why I believe in prayer. I believe in meditation, because sometimes if you really want to know what your purpose is and the things that you want to do in life, all you have to do is take a moment to meditate, take a moment to reflect. And a lot of times our purpose has already been painted in front of us. And we just don't take a moment to realize and recognize what that may be. And I think for me at a young age, like coming through my childhood and my teenage years, I wasn't clear or sure that, oh, I wanted to work in the entertainment industry, Mm -hmm. but I know that I wanted to create things. I know that I wanted to be a creative person. So I found myself that, as free as this may sound, like I would change my mom's living room around. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, oh, this piece has to go here, or this plant has to go here. And I didn't realize and recognize that I would be working in the entertainment industry at this stage in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, because a lot of times also in my life, there were so many other plants that people had for me. That's right. And it wasn't necessarily the plan that I had for myself. So when I, even when I got out of high school, my family had a plan for me to go to college. And I honestly struggled with that because I'm like, I didn't feel a connection to wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. I felt that I needed to do it because everybody wanted me to do it. And I tried, and I was very unsuccessful with completing school. Mm -hmm. So many years went by. It wasn't until I turned 33 that my heart and my mouth connected with me going back to school. I've always said I wanted to go to school, I wanted to do this, but it was never really truly in my heart to do that. So when my heart and my mouth connected, I applied, and I was accepted. So then every single thing started to fall into place that I was going to school and I was learning. But even before I was fully accepted into the university, I doubted myself because I'm I'm like, oh my gosh, you're too old to go back to school. You, you don't need to do this. And you're just going to get your bachelor's degree. It brought about embarrassment, for one, because I'm like, all of these people around you that are like coming out of high school, they're going to get their bachelor's degree. You're 33, 34, and you're about to start doing this. It's like, don't do it. And, and then I was like, okay, you're not smart enough. Do you have time to do this? Like, I really was psyching myself out of doing it. And then I really just had to meditate and say, Dwayne, you need to do this. And then I began to really pray, God, if this is your will for my life, all the pieces will come together. Right. And that's what started to happen. And honestly, these last two and a half years at Full Sail University have been life-changing because not only did I come in and do well academically, I really made a lot of connections. In the first part of like the year for me, I was selected to be a part of the National Honor Society. Mm-hmm. And then I became an officer within the Honor Society. I was a social chair. So I was a person that had to talk to people and you know, try to get people to come to the events that we have. And then a few months after After that, another position became available, and I became the vice president of events. So anytime there was an event for the university, although I was an online student, I still was able to work with the other officers that were a part of the National Honor Society. I was able to work with them to be able to have events and work with the members that are a part to say, hey, come together on campus and be able to 
host this event, I was able to fly in. Provisions was made for that to happen. Then I became the president of the National Honor Society, and that alone was life-changing for me. I became the president of a chapter with over 2,000 members that reported directly to me that I was responsible for. Mm. And I'm an online student. I go back to, you're not smart enough, you don't need to do this, you don't need to go to school, to becoming the president of the National Honor Society for the university was like a huge step in my life to say, you know what, God, so this is your will for me. Because everything that I felt that I wasn't capable of doing or able to do, it all lined up to bring me to that point. And not only that, to even go a step above being the president, I was selected to be a part of the National Leadership Council. So I'm no longer the president of the National Honor Society. That title was given up yesterday. And so right now we're in transition and making a new president for that university. But I was selected to be a part of the National Leadership Council. And it's seven college students who travel to all the universities in the United States. Mm. And what we do, we go around and we support those who have other National Honor Societies in their universities. I've had the opportunity to be guest speakers at other universities. I've had the opportunity to be mentors to other presidents to go through them and talk to them and say, hey, what is your school doing about your National Honor Society? How can I help? I've done webinars to be able to support and to say, hey, this is what you should do in your meetings. This is how to make this happen. Okay, so, so let's let's absorb some of what you're saying here. Let's absorb some yeah, of what you're okay. saying, okay? <laughs> because what you are describing is the Joseph factor and that's favor everywhere you go Absolutely. all right that's what you're describing absolutely that flight path that ascent that stairway to heaven that you just stepped out for us is the joseph factor favor everywhere you go brother favor everywhere you mm-hmm. go exactly yes i do want to go back to a couple of things that you have said here And I'm loving every word of everything that we're talking about today. We were talking about children and your spiritual gifts emerging first creatively at a young age, teenage years. And you said, well, at that point, we don't know that they're spiritual gifts. I didn't know it was a spiritual gift. When did you know that the abilities that you possess are spiritual in nature? Something more than I can just do this well, but that I was given this as a gift. I will have to say, it took me a while to mm-hmm. recognize that. And it wasn't until I was 30 that I realized that, okay, Dwayne, you have something. And it's really touching people. But I'm not sure 100% what it is, but there's something special. And it has to be protected and it has to be nurtured. It wasn't until I was 33 that I realized that I had a spiritual gift and that I was able to stand firm on the gifting that was inside of me. And what really clicked for me one time that really had made me change my way of thinking was something that you said to me on the radio. Mm. Because I always had a problem standing in the truth of how great I was or how good of a writer I was. I just could not take a compliment because honestly in the black community church if you think that you're good it's almost like a sin to some people right that people think that you're not being humbled exactly. or they think that you're being boastful whatever the case may be exactly. so my mind was trained to think that i had to not take credit for what the gifting that was inside of me mm-hmm. and i remember what you said to me and i'm going to paraphrase it because i don't remember exactly how i how it has i don't have notes but i wrote it down in my journal and what you were saying to me basically was that as long as i I realize who the light is Mm -hmm. and don't take credit for that. Mm then I can say that I'm a good writer. Mm-hmm. Or I can say when somebody says, oh, that really blessed me or that whatever, I can say 
thank you. I don't have to respond with a humbled or meek answer of, oh, to God be the glory. As long as I realize mm-hmm. and recognize who the light is, because the light is shining through me, That's right, that brother. I can take the accolades for what God has given me. Mm as long as I never lose sight of the light that's in me. And when you said that to me, that really broke up some stuff inside of me to really think like, yeah, like God is the light. He's giving you this. He's allowing you to touch people through your writings or through your speaking engagements or whatever the case may be. You can say thank you if somebody says you did a good job. It doesn't mean that you're taking the credit away from God. It doesn't take away the fact of the light that's in you by simply saying thank you. Mm. That just broke up so many disbeliefs and so many spiritual practices and all of that kind of stuff in me. And it freed me to be able to receive and listen to what people really had to say because I could respond to them when they would say something to me. That if a person was going through something, that if they wanted to tell me how their story related to whatever I wrote, then it allowed me to be able to respond and to encourage them because in the past, I felt that if I said anything outside of thank you, Mm-hmm. that I was taking credit for what was happening. Who does he there. think he is? Was, he got a big head now because he got to play. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so when people would say certain things and want to share their stories, I felt bad listening and receiving what they were saying. But I don't feel that anymore. And the truth of the matter is I can flat foot stand and say, yes, I am all that. Mm-hmm. Because I realized that God has given me a talent and he has given me something that's powerful to impact people. And if I have to keep downplaying who I am, I'll never walk in my true calling of who God has called me to be. He even calls me fearfully and wonderfully made. He even calls me the head and not the tail. So if God can call me this stuff, why can't I just repeat what he's already saying that I am? So what you're talking about is undoing. And maybe I don't, you tell me if you've ever perceived it in this way. What you're talking about or what I hear you talking about is the undoing of some religious programming that we all had of a certain way you have to be and speak in order to be righteous. Absolutely. And it's been years. I grew up in the church. So it's been years of deprogramming mm-hmm. <laughs> or ways that I had to think, even to the point of this may be a little off topic, but this is something that relates to this. I've even been in church for a long time, but I've even experienced that the mindset of you can't really have money and be righteous. Like, right. like it was like all the people in the church, like, you have to look so <laughs> holy. Like, you have right. to look all beat down. Like, you just barely like, making it. That you were close to God. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that is stupid. That's not the case. Right. <laughs> That's not the case. I can have money. I can have coins. And still love God and still have exactly. a relationship with Him. That exactly. is stupid. Exactly. And we got to get out of that mindset of thinking that we have to be so low to the ground the people that look the lowest or the people that are struggling the most have the closest relationship to god that's not the case i was trained to think a certain way yes and after you said what you said to me on the radio i was like oh the hell with that i'm done like no i am moving forward and what the call and i'm telling you it was so freeing and it made me write differently it made me posture myself differently with the way that i approach events that i participate in It made me think differently how I respond to people. It was really life-changing to be able to know that I can take the credit and I can say thank you and I can talk about my process 
that it takes for me to put on a show or to write and not feel like I'm taking away from the light or God that's inside of me because I realize and recognize that without him and his guidance, I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I do. Mm. Well, brother, you are blessing me in this moment with the telling of that story. And I thank you for sharing that. And it just satisfies my soul to know that an exchange that we had was useful to you. And uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm listening to you and my heart is opening up and I'm thinking about that scripture that says, cast your bread upon the water and it will return to you after many days. And when I hear you talk about that time, Absolutely. which was many, many years ago when we had that conversation, it's bread coming back on the water. And I just am so grateful that you shared that. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this. And if you have, I want to hear all about it right now. But you talked okay. about <laughs> the numbers of what you talked about are fascinating to me. At age 30, I realized I have something special that needs to be nurtured and protected. At age 33, my heart and my mouth connected for me to want to go back to school. I realized I had a spiritual gift. Now, when you look at those numbers, what do you see, brother? There's some parallels that I want to talk about. Absolutely. (laughs) I want to talk about that. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. It is just the true connection to the timeline Mm -hmm. of Jesus. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Isn't that something? I'm telling you, that's wonder working power right there. (laughs) That is wonder working power. Absolutely. It's just been amazing. Yeah, I almost don't know where to go after that because it's just <laughs> it struck me so clearly, so clearly, so clearly. We're not comparing myself to Jesus, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's big significance in numbers. And and a lot of times, even for those who read the Bible, there's a lot of three comparisons in the Bible. There yes. was a lot of things done in three. There were a lot of things that happened in three. And so that's what we are relating to. So we're not comparing me to Jesus, people. I just uh, want to put that out there. Uh, put it out there, but and I, and I want to press back and push back on that a little bit. Given everything that you just said, all right, about knowing the source and it's not my greatness comes through the source. Why not compare yourself to Jesus? Who better? You you rather compare yourself to Tyler Perry as opposed to Jesus? I take Jesus any day. Right. No, I totally get it. But, you know, some people get real like, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. But I totally understand where you're coming from and the, and the similarities to the journey. And the yes, journey it's the of journey what I've been through. Yeah, it, it's definitely that in comparison is absolutely. I do take that and I do walk in that of what Jesus did on his three year journey from 30 to 33 of ministry and the things that he did and impacting people and touching people and learning and teaching others. I do definitely take that comparison as well, because it is a very similar aspect of what Jesus went through to what I went through as well. Yes. And the life that Jesus demonstrated is a template for the life that we live. Those who are called according to our purpose and who are committed to spiritual evolution and to following the path of Christ. So, yes, you see Jesus's life in my life. Yes, that's what I want. I don't want you to see Tyler Perry's life in my life. I want you to see Jesus's life in my life. So I don't shrink from that. I don't shrink from that one iota. Yes, I think those numbers showed up in your life to show you that we in this together. You ain't by yourself. What, What that song say that Aretha sang so beautifully? You'll never walk alone. You ain't walking alone. That's what them numbers are here to tell us. Never, ever. Never, ever. (laughs) Never, ever. Absolutely. 
Never ever. Never ever. Never ever. And that's one of the things that I absolutely love too, that in the midst of all of everything that I went through, it was a lonely state that I was by myself. I was single. I was really just focusing on myself, but I never felt alone, but it was a lonely time in a sense of I really had to separate myself from so many different things mm. to be able to focus because I honestly do feel like that if I would have been or stay a part of certain situations that this would not have happened. Graduation would not have happened yesterday, but because I realized that I needed to really just separate myself, it was important for me to be able to focus and not be distracted. I'm not saying that there were no trials and tribulations that didn't come within those years from 33 to even coming to 36 to prepare for school and to realize what's happening and from 30 to 33, what am I gonna do with my life? But I was able to pull myself out of so many different things to just be by myself and to focus on what I needed to focus on. Well, let's take a moment to appreciate this beautiful burden because the other side of separation is sanctification. Okay. We separate to sanctify ourselves. So yeah, it's painful. Mm -hmm. That separation can hurt. The other side of that is we become sanctified and purified from some things. Absolutely. So I appreciate that. I Absolutely. appreciate that going through that fire. That is a fire that turns coal into diamonds right there. That separation. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Even in my thought process, like I don't even think the same way. Like I'm so not the same person and my heart is so open to so many things to being in a relationship right. and or to ha- be a father. Like right. I want to be a father so, so, so bad. Like mm-hmm. not like tomorrow. And not next year, but it's a desire of mine because I think that I've opened myself up to be able to talk about being a parent. Mm -hmm. Brother, I'm totally with you. I'm listening to you and I'm thinking in 1998, which was 21 years ago, I'm 53. So that would have made me, what, 31 and or 32 at the time because I'm about to be 54. And I wrote a piece for Essence about exactly what you're talking about. My desire, my yearning to be a father. Now, I ain't talking nothing about being a husband because I ain't never had that vision. (laughs) But I did have a vision Uh, of being a father. (laughs) I felt it. I felt like that's how I needed and wanted to express myself. I wanted to look down and see myself in this little boy's face and work with that life and shape that mind and love him. And and I wanted that bad so much so that I wrote that and put all those personal feelings out there. So I feel you yet again. That is part of of who we are as men. I remember your play Manhood. We've covered three of your plays in this space that I can recall. Killing Me Softly Uh and Manhood and Passion Marks are the three that I remember. I remember talking to you about manhood. That's part of a manhood passage to feel that and want that. That's just natural. That's the way God created us. Mm -hmm. So I'm happy that we want to express yeah. that side of ourselves now at this point in the game biological fatherhood may, <laughs> may be beyond me because I, I don't necessarily want to go to the soccer games and sit out there and be cheering and you know I don't want to do that right now so I think I might be beyond uh-huh. that but thank God brother I have a nephew so I get to be the closest yeah. I get to the biological father energy is through my 8 year old nephew and I love that I love every minute when I'm around him. So I think it's important to express all these aspects of ourselves. One of the things that our spiritual gifts can sometimes do when we're out of balance is make us very one dimensional. All we want to talk about is writing. All we want to talk about is our careers. We don't want to talk about nothing else. I went through years like that. I ain't talked to nobody about nothing. If you ain't want to talk about my career, I ain't had no conversation Mm -hmm. for you because I was one dimensional. Absolutely. You hear me, brother? <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think that for me, <laughs> I can so relate to that because this is so much of a recent thing for me that I'm like, I think I want to 
be a father. I want a son, and I want to raise him, and I want him to enjoy the life that I'm enjoying now. And I feel like everything in my life is coming together to set me up for that. And I'm looking forward to it. But I can still relate to you that at the time, like all I wanted to talk about was producing plays. I didn't want to talk about anything else. Even to the point of, I never thought about buying a house. I was like, I don't need no house. Like I never thought about it. And that became like a recent thought of, hmm, let me look into buying a house one day. And all of this is recent thought. The journey has been so... Let me focus on work. Let me work so hard. Let me do this and let me do that. So where it was just that was just the focus. But now the focus has totally shifted. It's like I want the family in years to come. Like I want the child first. And then if anybody want to come along and join our, our <laughs> club, they can. But right. if they don't, if, <laughs> if they don't, you know. The train ain't stopping. It might pause, but it ain't going to stop. Exactly. If you want to come and join, like they say in church, this band of believers. Right. You come join That's us, right. We're here, but if you don't, we keep it moving. I was listening to some of our times together over the years. There have been many, many. There was no way I was going to get through all of them because we've done a lot of talking together (laughs) in this space Mm -hmm. over the years. The first time that you, and I didn't even realize this until I went back and looked, but the first time you appeared here was on our 35th show in our first season. We were 35 shows into this. Wow. Yeah, today is like 263. Wow. So we were 35 shows oh in. Yeah, wow. and that's the first time you were here. And you said at the end of that interview that that was your first live interview ever. And so. Yeah, that was my very first. Yeah, we've come quite a way. In the shows that I was able to listen to of our times together before, there were a few relationships that were key in your life at certain times in your life. And there was one relationship that you mentioned loosely, but not really spent a lot of time talking about. In subsequent years, you've had your sister on, who at that time was living in San Diego. And if it was not, if I remember correctly, either she or someone in your family was challenged with sickle cell because you brought a nurse on from from Florida. I think she was from Orlando. Remember the time you came and brought the nurse mm-hmm. on? So there was that. I've heard about your sisters. I've heard about your grandmom. I've heard about your father. I do want to follow up on some things with him. I don't necessarily hear you talk that much and haven't, at least in this space, about your younger brother. So I'm curious what your relationship is with that young man. My younger brother is my heart. Even when you mentioned just talking about him, it makes me smile. Where I take on the role of being the big brother to everybody, Mm -hmm. he takes on the role of being the big brother to me. But he's my little baby brother. And he also is a very creative person. He's very quiet. He's very to himself. Unless we're around family and stuff, like he'll laugh and talk and, you know, have a good time. But he's very creative. He's an amazing artist. He draws like nobody's business. Like, he's just so awesome. And our relationship, we're really close. He's not a mushy person where I'm so affectionate. Like, when I see him today, because I'm going to be going to my mom's house after mm-hmm. I check out of the hotel today. Mm-hmm. So when I see him today, like, I'm going to be all over him, like, hugging him. And he'll just be like, oh, my God. Like, please get That's off. too much. It's too much. It's too much. But what I love about our relationship, and honestly, we don't talk every single day. Mm-hmm. But honestly, when he calls me or when I call him, it's normally in the moment of, I was just thinking about you and I want to let you know that I love you. How are things going? What are you working on? And that means so much to me because I just love him so much. What I love most about him is that he just pretty much stays to himself. Mm-hmm. And where I does he live? Him, like one of those, he, lives in, he lives in Florida. He lives in my town of Weirdsdale, Florida, okay. where I was born. 
<laughs> so he stayed around the yeah, way. So he, um, yeah, he, but he actually took an opportunity. Um, he went to San Diego and lived with my sister for a while. He went to San Diego, did some schooling out there and everything, and he decided to come back. It was a culture shock for him, I believe. He accomplished a lot while he was there. So many things that I was just so proud of him mm-hmm. while he was there and, and the connections that he made. But he decided to come back because the city and all of that great stuff is not his thing. The thing that really makes me proud, and I don't even know the brother, is that he found it within himself to even go. I know some brothers that won't even leave the block. Yeah. So thank yeah, God he went. Absolutely. Yeah, and that was even a conversation that we had. Like, he even talked to me before he even did it. Like, do you think I should go? His name is Darius. And I'm like, absolutely. You should go. You should try it out. And if it doesn't work, you can come back. You don't have to stay. I never wanted for his life for him not to experience things in life. And he's experienced what he could handle at the moment. And so I'm very proud of him. We recently talked about working on a project together. One of the goals of mine is to write a children's book. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him some artwork and he started mapping it out. And we've just been talking back and forth because I would like to do a project with him as far as like a children's book. But, you know, that's one of the things that we talked about. But I do really, really sincerely pray that one day that somebody's able to see his artwork that he does or to be able to see what he does and just really say, you know what, come do this for us. Come work on this for us. Because as I said, he's a very shy guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in time, maybe he'll break out of that. Well, no matter how shy he is, he'll always have a big brother in the entertainment industry. So that is always going to be a funnel for his creativity. Absolutely. And his artistic endeavors. So that's a beautiful thing. What is Darius's relationship Absolutely. like? Because you've spent a lot of time with us, thankfully, talking about, first of all, let's check on the time. Uh-huh. You're checking out today. It's 11.04. Don't you got to be out of there soon? About 12. About 12. Okay. Okay. I'm in the executive suite. <laughs> okay, but they will give you some executive <laughs> privilege. <laughs> late checkout for that brother. <laughs> they be like, let that brother have a late Absolutely. checkout. You've spent Absolutely. some time in this space talking about your father and your relationship with your biological father. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that because we're working on this father-son chronicles. So I've included some of what you've said in that series. What is Darius's relationship mm-hmm. like with your biological father? It's pretty much the same as my relationship. There's no real close relationship. And the thing that's so amazing, they could be identical twins. They look so much alike. Mm. But there's just not that relationship. And honestly, my brother and I, we haven't really talked about it in depth, but I think we kind of are on the same page that there's really been no effort on either part as far as I'm reaching out or he's reaching out or anything like that. He'll send messages through like my grandmother or something like that. But I love him. I do. But it's just that for so long, he hasn't been a factor in any decision making or anything in my life. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I I am. But I do realize, honestly, that there's some things that he has to work on as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think that that relationship will ever come back together? I'm hopeful. But if it does not, I'm okay with that. If it does not, because I don't want to ever be in a position to where I have to force someone to love me, which I think he loves me. I'm not saying that, but I never want to be in a position where I have to force a relationship mm-hmm. or force someone to call me or feel forced to call them. If we haven't built that relationship, then it, it's okay. But in time, if it's supposed to happen, it will. But as far as Darius and my father's relationship, it's pretty much the same. When we see each other, we're going to speak, we're going to hug. We're going to be concerned about each other. We're going to show concern. And then we're going to go our separate ways. There's not going to be phone calls. There's not going to be text messages. There's not going to be Facebook status. There's not going to be 
anything, but one of the things that I can say about my brother and myself is that we've always been respectful, Mm -hmm. and we've always shown love to my father, and we recognize that he's our father. But there's just been no effort on on either of our parts to try to make something happen that just isn't or hasn't happened. And your younger brother, Darius, is how old? He's 28. And how old are you? 36. 36. 36. Mm. And do you know how old your father is, your biological father? Yes, he is... 55, I believe. 55. Okay. So he's just a year older than I am. I'm old enough to be your daddy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The other relationship that we've talked about in the past that really touched me was that of your uncle, your relationship with your uncle who was in the military. He may still be in the military. Yes. How is he He doing? He actually just retired on November 1st. Mm -hmm. He moved from San Diego and now he's in Tampa, Florida. So he's really... I'm excited about that transition of his life, but he's had a full career in the military, and I just know that he's grateful for the opportunity now to be able to relax and, you know, just kind of just chill out and just focus on some things that he wants to do in his life, because all he's known, really, honestly, was the military, but he retired as a captain in the Navy, and so I know that he's really happy about being in Florida now. Mm -hmm. And does he have any biological male children any sons he does not he has two daughters two daughters see this is all fascinating if if you could i know if there were times when you could if you could just get into my mind right now you would just be swirling and i know if i could get into your mind right now i would be swirling around there because as soon as you said that he has no biological sons i think of the beautiful things that you said about him and how he looked out for you and made sure that you got an education and he's been a father to you in your life so yes Mm -hmm. i think part of the evolution of us as a human species is to move beyond the obvious and so the truth Mm -hmm. is that he does have a son he does it's you and you do have a father it's him we call him uncle but there are many fathers in our lives we only get one biological father but there are men in our lives who father us who father us and that man fathered you yeah absolutely like even to in all aspects of my life even to the point and i think i shared this on the show even to how to hold a knife and cut a steak Mm -hmm. he's definitely been a very impactful person in my life and i can call and talk to him about anything and he's just been an amazing guy in my life and i think that even though there were times where we would not all see this on on the same page because as i said i know real life and he knows the military so but we were able to teach each other and learn even in our 11 year age gap but we have the same exact birthday so the relationship just absolutely has evolved over the years of him respecting me as a man now and my views and my decisions Mm -hmm. but still giving me the fatherly guidance to be able to live my life but if i make a mistake or something i can always fall back on him to ask him for direction Mm -hmm. and that is your mother's brother correct okay and your uncle his wife has also been an important relationship in your life i recall absolutely sianos (laughs) that whole discussion we had is yes (laughs) from your aunt yeah it's, it's from her name it's the first two letters of her first middle and last name and she's been very impactful with guidance. Um, she's really big on education as well. And the way that our relationship has worked is that when I was with them and lived with them, where my uncle knew the military, she knew life. And so I was able for her, like when the things got frustrated with my uncle, 
I was able to talk to her and get guidance from her, but I still had the male figure or the backing when I was able to articulate things that I was not able to say to him when I would speak to her. Not that there was a division or anything like that, but there was just certain times where I would get so frustrated. I'm like, I just want to hear what I got to say. And I'm like, how can I handle this or what can I say? And she would guide me through that. And so I think that my uncle started to gain that respect of my decisions and things that I wanted to do that didn't involve the military. He really started to give me a lot of respect in that aspect. But my aunt, she has been such a driving force in my life for everything. Like when her and my uncle got married, we made a connection that this has been unbreakable over the years to the point to where people thought that I was her biological nephew because people said, oh my God, y'all look so much alike hmm. and I look nothing like my uncle. <laughs> right. So we just had a connection. That relationship was definitely ordained by God. Hmm. That had to happen. God was like, this has to happen. Wow. Well, let's let you check out of your hotel. But before we go, as a result of what you've learned mm -hmm. in attaining this degree over the last two years, where do you see yourself in the television space? Is there a vision? Has all the learning and the knowledge created a vision for you of how you think you might want to be in that television space? What does that look like for you now? And that's a great question, because one of the things that I really want to transition into television and film, more so film, because I want to continue to tell stories. There's so many things that I've experienced in my life. There's so many people that I've ran into. There's so many great things that have happened. There's been some negative as well. So for me, I just want to tell true, authentic stories that connect with people, that people can see themselves. I don't want to fabricate. I don't want to put anybody on blast either. But I just want to tell stories that resonate with people of how to overcome certain things. I, I live a life of how to overcome because I experienced so much just on this year. One thing that I have not talked about publicly is that in June, mm -hmm. I was carjacked and I was robbed at gunpoint. And that alone changed my whole entire life. And in that moment, I realized that there were some things that I had to work on and still am working on of how to overcome tragic situations and things like that. So I want to tell stories, not only for entertainment, I want to leave people with hope whenever they watch something. And I'm not saying that every story that I will write will have a happy ending. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying, like, I want people to be able to see there's ways to overcome or that they can relate and say, oh, I've been through that, but I don't know how to come out of it or how to work my way through it. And that's just what I want to do. I want people to feel encouraged. Mm -hmm. You said before that you love creating characters and that really you're interested in television and film, but mostly film. So as you mm -hmm. move into that film space and bring these characters and their stories, as you just talked about to the audience that you also talked about earlier, that you understand how to get them and hold them in a way now that maybe you didn't two and a half years ago. Are there characters that you can look at in film 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago? Is there any film that stands out for you where you look at that character and go, I want to write somebody like that. I can write that. I can do that. A character that you want to have the kind of impact that this character in a film 40, 50 years ago had? Or do you mostly just stay in the moment and work from today's time and move forward with your characters? I work in today's time with characters. For the last 12 years, going into 13 years of writing plays, I've developed 
252 characters mm -hmm. that have never been the same. And they've all had different names. It's just what I've loved to do, to tell stories and to get a story out there. There are, however, characters that I've seen that have been impactful in movies mm -hmm. that I would love to tell modern-day stories of them. One being Seeley from The Color Purple. Mm -hmm. There were so many different dynamics to her that I don't think people fully get. They get the funny parts, they get the way that she looks, but there were so many different, there were so many different layers to her character. Mm -hmm. To where, honestly, if you removed every character from, in my opinion, that if you could just remove every character from The Color Purple and just do a story about her, like there were so many layers to her character and the things that she experienced and the things that she saw. Her own thought process and the way that she spoke to herself was a movie alone because she dealt with so many different things that she could not express on her own. My gift is not in creating characters in the way that yours is that's not my gift I thought that was my gift because as I was growing into an understanding of myself as a writer the people that I looked to as writers were James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and others and so I thought fiction and as I matured and became more of myself in this world and lived I realized that fiction is not my gift it's not my gift. It's not necessarily even my interest. I appreciate it. It's not what I do. It's what you do. You created thus far 252 characters. My writing gift and creative gift is grounded more in a journalistic space. So looking out at what is and telling the stories of the communities whose stories only I can tell because of the way that I have lived and because of how I have lived. And because of who I have been in my living, there are certain stories that I can tell that nobody else can tell. Not the way I can tell it, because mm -hmm. I've lived it. I understand right. what that is. You hear right. me, brother? I've lived that. Mm -hmm. I've been Absolutely. there. I've done it. I feel it. I know that character. I've seen it. You understand? Uh, there are certain mm -hmm. stories that only I can tell. What do you want to uh, leave us with? What is it that you want to walk away from this conversation having left for sure on the table? I first want to say thank you for so much for this space and this opportunity to be able to catch up and talk with you and to be able to share with the listeners just a portion of mm -hmm. the journey that and the things that have been happening with me for the last few years or so. But what I will say is that I want to really just encourage people that it's never too late to follow your dream. That if you can thank it you can make it happen and i'm at this place and space in my life that i can't afford to let anyone to discourage me not to do something that i think because my philosophy is oh it can happen because i thought it could happen mm -hmm. you know or i think it can happen so that's just the space that i'm in and i want people to feel that it's never too late to follow your dreams and to do whatever your heart desire go for it and just do what you feel you want to do and need to do to fulfill your destiny amen brother I want to give proper space and honor and respect to the story that you told for the first time that I did not follow up on because I didn't. And now is not the time to follow up on it. We'll do that at, a, at another time mm -hmm. and space, perhaps. But I do yeah. want to give honor and respect and space and love and encouragement to you for the experience that you had in June of being carjacked and robbed at gunpoint. That's not just something that is slipped into a conversation to make a point. And I hope it did make the point that you wanted mm -hmm. to make. But that's an experience that is life altering and life changing. Oh, yeah. And it's also a wound and a trauma that has to be overcome on some level. And Absolutely. We, you hear me, brother? And when you think about 
whoever it was or whoever they were, and I'm not even asking because that's not the point in this moment, who perpetrated that crime on you. You think about the brothers and sisters that are out here doing such things to one another every single day, all day long. And that's the world that we live in. And so when we think about the things that you've talked about and the journey from 30 to 33 and from 11 and 12, making those newscasts and 14 writing for sure and 23 having your first production to sell tickets. I think it was 820 tickets that you sold and what happened to you at 30 and what happened to you at 33. There are things like the experience in June, brothers and sisters, that happened to all of us along the way. It ain't all peaches and cream, as we said in my day. I don't know if you've even heard that before, Brother Dwayne. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but that's what we used to say. It ain't all peaches and cream. There are real things that happen to <laughs> us. You hear me? That alter who we are. And it brings me back. I would like to leave on the table for the brothers and sisters today, and also for you, Dwayne, and also for myself. There's a scripture in Isaiah, and Isaiah says, Stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient ways. Stand at the crossroads. That June incident was a crossroads. We all come to them. Some we volunteer for and some just sneak up on us and say, this is a crossroads and you're standing at it right now. What you going to do? Ask for the ancient ways because there's a path, brothers and sisters, that is ancient. It's been around for a long time. That goes back to the parallel of Jesus and Dwayne and Jesus and myself and Jesus and every one of you who subscribes to his beliefs. What happened to Jesus at 30 happened to Dwayne at 30. I could tell you a story of the things that happened to me when I was 33. So the parallels are real and there's a crossroads. There are many crossroads that we stand at in life. And my point is Isaiah's point. When you reach it, ask for the ancient ways because there's an ancient way that's full of wisdom that will never lead you to a place where you don't really want to be. There's a path you can take that will always lead you exactly where you want to be. Brother Dwayne brought back to me today some bread that I had cast on the water to him just doing what I do in this space every week. And some things I said to him was bread. Those were seeds that I cast out onto the water and went on with my life and he went on with his life. And I did not know until today that anything I had said to him in that conversation was a breadcrumb for him. I didn't know that. I was being true to myself in the moment and following the ancient way that God has set before me. I was being true to that. And all these years later, that bread came back in this conversation with that brother. And that's what awaits each one of us on that path, that ancient way, that godly ancient path is set out before each one of us. Judy Garland told us what in the 20s or the 30s. This is way beyond your time and mine, Brother Dwayne, but we know it. Judy Garland said, follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. Absolutely. Follow the yellow brick road. That's what I'm talking about. The yellow brick road. It's going to lead you to where you want to be. And the thing that I'm most moved by two things one what i just said about you sharing that breadcrumb that bread that you brought back on the water but the other thing is this whole point that you made that actually gave me chills when you made it when you talked about the separation that you had to do in your life to separate yourself from some things and some people and some states of being and states of mind and a level of consciousness that you had and this is the word of the day that you had graduated from You had to separate yourself from that because you had graduated from that. You even said earlier, one of the titles that you held, I believe it was vice president or something. You had to give that up yesterday. You had to separate yourself Mm -hmm. from that. Why? Because you graduated to something else. Absolutely. Come on now. Help a brother out. You graduated. Absolutely. So you had to separate. You had to lay that down. 
for this greater thing that you're going mm-hmm. after now. So the other side of separation, brothers and sisters, is sanctification. God will separate you to sanctify you. Remember that. Hold on to that, brothers and sisters. God will separate you to sanctify you. And that separation might not feel good. In fact, it might hurt bad. You might feel like the greatest victim around. I guarantee you. Okay. Hear me now. Testify. I'm testifying because it might hurt. But on the other side. Okay. I'm sure it didn't feel good for Moses either. I'm sure that wilderness did not feel good. But when he got to the other side, there were beautiful things waiting for him. There were beautiful things waiting for him. What did Jesus tell the devil in the wilderness? Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what we live on. That's the ancient way. That's the ancient way. Amen. Okay, that's the ancient way. Follow the ancient way. I love you. I respect you. I appreciate you. I thank you so much for your time today, brother. And I can't wait until we do it again. And when we do... Absolutely. When we do, we're going to look back on this conversation from the point that we will be at that point, whenever it is, one year, two years, 10 years, whenever it is that we do this again. We're going to look back at this and go, brother, look at us now. Look at us now. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Look well, at I God. love you too, Robert. Thank you so much for this opportunity in this space. I so appreciate our friendship, our brothership. Yes. I so appreciate it. It's always and forever, brother. <laughs>